Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we talk about all things parenting and mental health. When you're done listening to this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. Today, I am really thrilled to have on Corinne Crosley. She received her master's degree in counseling psychology and is a licensed mental health counselor. After years of working with women in practice and becoming a mom, she started the blog and podcast Mama Bites, where she regularly interviews experts in various fields of self-care, including intuitive eating, mindfulness, yoga, complementary and alternative healing, sleep, sexual health, and many other areas. And Corinne is now the author of her first book, Self-Care for New Moms, Thriving in Your Postpartum Year. Welcome, Corinne. Thank you, Dr. Cheryl. I'm so, so glad to be here. Honored. Oh, I'm so glad that you are here. This interview is actually overdue. You and I spoke, well, I don't even know, a couple of years a ago. A long time ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you uh, interviewed me for the book, and when I got it, I have to tell people, I have to show people too, for those watching. It is a beautiful book. It makes a perfect gift because it has the absolute best information in it, and it's also very pretty and soothing and kind of just makes a really pretty gift. It is just chock full of amazing information, really necessary information. So I will start off by saying, um, I read your introduction. Not everybody always reads the introduction. Not everybody does. (laughs) I know, but people read the introduction. In the introduction of your book, Mm -hmm. Self-Care for New Moms, Um, Although today we're going to be talking about new moms and all moms, but you say that there were three pieces of advice that a magical therapist named Heidi told you over 20 years ago that still resonates with you. So can you tell us what it was and how does that influence your work? Oh, it was a pop quiz. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but it's, but it's in my bones still. Yeah, that was, that was during a really sort of difficult time of my own life. Well, before I became a mom. Heidi was very directive with me and I was struggling and she said, you need to feed your body. You need to get out and see people and you need sleep. It was really, really hard at that time when I was struggling with anxiety. Then as I became a new mom, it just like, we went the lap back around, right? Like this is so difficult. We, we exist on so little between sleep and food a lot of the time. You know, even before the pandemic, a lot of the time new moms end up isolating. So it just became so clear to me that that was the place to start the book. One of the most vulnerable parts of my life, because when I'm meeting with the people that I work with, that's how they're coming to me is most vulnerable, especially those moms who are just like, just holding it together so often. Yeah. Let, let me underscore what you said, because Heidi's advice is also, you know, paramount to my, to my work as well. Fuel yourself, feed yourself, nourish yourself, right? Like I always say, um, food is love. Mm. And I've been saying that for a long time. And I got that from working with kids who had experienced severe trauma they have a lot of issues around food because sometimes food was withheld, mm-hmm. food was not given. So I really view food as love. So if you feed yourself, you're loving yourself. That's a way you're you're sending that message to yourself. Eat slash nourish and fuel yourself. Sleep. Can you talk about how much sleep 
particularly in that postpartum year, what the sleep cycle clearly changes. Mm-hmm. So how does that look for a new mom? Such a great question. So I think the thing that really like came through to me in interviewing the experts that I, that I speak with, especially um, Dr. Downs, who I spoke with in that um, chapter on sleep, she talks about how that the new mom experiences sleep in such a different way. She might get the same number of hours where she puts her body in the bed for six hours, eight hours, 10 hours, but we're taking that sleep and we're chopping it up like confetti. (laughs) And so that interrupted sleep has such a profound effect. You know, I think all of us across the globe, but especially new moms, we totally underrate how that's actually affecting us, be it our alertness or our patience or our self-compassion. We, we just erode so much with that. Even years later, like my youngest is seven and, you know, if we get cold or he's, you know, mama, I had a bad dream. I still underrate how much that sleep affects me or that lack of sleep. And so I think we really need guardians of our mental health reminding us of like, hey, you haven't slept well in like four hours or four months, whatever it is, and helping moms get more quality sleep where it's not so chopped up. So how do you do that when in the middle of the night, when you have an infant, you have to get up, you do have to get up. It's It is choppy. They're not sleeping. If you're really fortunate, maybe at six months, eight months, they truly are sleeping through the night. But those first months where it is just biologically, you're wired to get up, you've got a nurse or you've got to feed them. Um, how do you make up for that? How do you protect that irritability, that mental fog, all the things that come with chopped up confetti sleep? I think there's a couple of things. I think one, we usually have to ask for way more help than we ask for. So often we take it on our shoulders not just from our partners, but Dr. Downs had this amazing idea of that, like at our baby showers, yeah, the gifts are great. The registry is great. Have people actually say like, these are the hours that I can come help. I can come and like stay up and like have, you know, a couple people to really come help so that you can truly let go, which I think is really difficult. I think also we need to do less, right? Like, so, oh, we just didn't get that sleep. And then we just keep all the plates spinning. Well, you might have to scale way back, not just to create the opportunity to sleep, but because you're also not adding to that pressure of having not slept and you're trying to keep all the plates spinning. And so where are the places that you can do less or be a little less as well? Love that. I mean, Right now, I'm regretting all of the showers that I've been to, I've been part of hosting, <laughs> that I didn't have something like that. You're right. You could have, you could have like the meal sign up. You could have the sleep yes. health sign up. Yes. This you is could the have, ah, I'm getting mm-hmm. chills. Mm-hmm. This is, why, why? This is my last question that I planned, but I'm going to ask you now. Why do we not have this as a part of our ingrained culture? Why do we have like, Bed, bath, and beyond, and bye-bye, baby, as a part of our ingrained culture, but not the, let's sign up to support the mama and the baby and and the papa if he's there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great question. I think there are some experts have really been sort of 
digging into this in terms of like the business of baby, right? And it used to be that we would live in these communities where, you know, people would come in and out. The moms would, you know, be in and out of each other's houses. And one of the experts I interview, um, who was so wonderful, she she was she was so great in terms of like she used plenty of salty language. Her name is Divya Kumar. She talked about that her father didn't understand. Her father was from India. She and she's like, I need you know, she became a postpartum doula. She said, I need help. And he he didn't quite understand. And she's like, of course you don't understand. All the aunties were coming and helping each other out. And we've just moved so far away from that sort of communal type connection. I just don't think we think of it. I think we're trained to think of like protecting our kids in terms of the stuff, right? Like you need the car seat, you need the things to make sure that they're safe in that way. But in terms of community, we just, that's not the message that we're given anymore. Yeah, it's so good. I talked about that. I talk about that in several places, but I just say this wasn't the way this was meant to be. Mm -mm. None of this was supposed Mm -mm. to go like this. Mm -mm. This is why we have women under chronic stress and, you know, heart disease and Mm -hmm. loneliness and depression because it was not meant to be this way gosh, somehow we have to get back or we have to recreate roots that are healthier. Um, I really, really believe that. Okay, thank you. And the third part is connection of Heidi's fabulous advice, mm-hmm. connecting with others. So um, talk about that isolation and need for connection. I think people hear it a lot, but it somehow doesn't really resonate, I think. I know, I know. And it it breaks my heart um, that it doesn't. Well, one thing that I actually quote quite a bit in connection is you and what you talk about with oxytocin, right? Like there's just something that happens like almost like magic, right? When two women are connecting in a room together, right? Like the oxytocin gets flowing I mean, if you've had a good dose of oxytocin, right? Like when you've looked at your baby and actually felt like, oh my God, I love this being, right? Like that's that hormone. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, if we could figure out how to synthesize that, all the world's problems are solved. (laughs) True. Um, And so even that piece, getting that connection going. But for me, and what I like to remind my clients, I think it's so important because when we exist in that isolation, we just get further and further and further in our heads. And it's such a problem. And it's so easy to, I think, start to focus or question things about ourselves and our kids. And there's no sense of normalcy. There's nothing grounding us. And I can't tell you how often I've been so reassured just talking with other moms of kids my age and being like, it's fine. That tantrum, it's totally normal. Like even knowing that, you know, you know that sort of intellectually, but when you hear other people that you respect and other kids that you think are good kids, it really helps ground, I think. And grounding is so much more helpful. And and so again, so the opposite of our culture now. We, I think the rest of the larger culture really thrives on us being like, sort of in the ether versus like when you actually ground, it feels so much better. 
Yeah, and I want to add to what you said. We're either, when we're more isolated, we're either in our heads or on our phones. <laughs> right? And Beautiful. on our phones is a, for the most part, pretty unhealthy place to be. I think, especially when you're feeling vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and when you are comparing yourself or your baby or the development or your spouse or your partner or your lack thereof, it, it's so important. I, I do want to say it's funny you mentioned the oxytocin. Sometimes I forget like, yeah, yeah. that's right. I did a TED talk. On it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I really want to underscore that you, what you said, because if you haven't, if, I'm saying this to someone who maybe recently hasn't been around a girlfriend. Um, and I will say this is woman to woman. So this was based right. off of a UCLA landmark study. It was female to female. Um, and they actually found that the oxytocin levels, your love hormone, um, did not rise in the same way, even in the presence of a male friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying it didn't rise. I don't even know, but, but the most substantial was female to female specifically. And, I, I love that you mentioned that because I want to underscore that. That is a feeling that that's the feeling you have when you leave the happy hour, the coffee, the dinner, and you just have a smile on for ear to ear. And probably in that hour, you've laughed, you've cried, you've empathized, you've related, you've been vulnerable, like a lot of stuff. Happened. A lot of stuff. <laughs> a lot. And it's reciprocal, right? It, it was probably two ways. Although consist, done consistently enough, there are going to be some times where you consumed most of the oxygen for that hour. And maybe the next time they consumed most of the oxygen. And sometimes it's reciprocal. I think that's one of those things, like many, many things in mental health and self-care and wellness and psychological health. You have to do it and you have to do it consistently and practice it to believe it, to experience it, to have and reap those benefits so that it really does become habit and like your sacred time. Don't you think? Beautiful. Absolutely. I would just also add too that because so many of my moms can get so perfectionistic, like, well, I tried it and it didn't work, right? Like that consistency piece, I think that you're so beautifully saying and that, um, so weird. I'm talking about my therapist so much, but to circle back, something that my therapist and I talk about is the rule of like 50 to 60% that like, Go in hoping that it'll work like 50% of the time. It's not going to be perfect all the time. You're not going to get all the oxygen sometimes. Sometimes you're going to be like feel vulnerable leaving with all the oxygen, right? Um, but right, like that practice. And then that creates that regular opportunity because we forget. We forget from one time to another. Absolutely. I mean, it, it lasts and it lasts, you know, this is not scientific, but, you know, hours, days, it doesn't last weeks and months. You nope. got to keep doing it. It's like working out. You got to <laughs> right, keep right. doing it. Okay. Let me actually move on to other questions. I promise okay. that I have for you because there's so much in, there's so much in this book. I, I can't say enough about it. So self-care for new moms, it truly is an invaluable guide for the first year when a woman is postpartum. Can you talk about the importance of the first month? And what do you say to someone who's a new mom? And she may even be past her first month. So you dedicate a whole part to the first month. So let's talk about that. And then talk about what if you're listening or reading the book and you actually are past that first month. So I have like a little stump speech that I'll, that I talk about. Okay. You're going scuba diving. <laughs> um, your first postpartum month is just, you are like up is down, down is up. Um, sometimes it feels like 
you don't have enough oxygen and you don't know what's going on. And we want you to surface out of that slowly (laughs) and that it's okay. Like just to set that expectation, right? Like, and you're not, you know, if you're scuba diving, you're not going to be trying to like move furniture at the same time and rearrange (laughs) rooms. Like just stay alive, look around, take it in. And um, you just need different things. Life is different during that time because I think so many of us set the expectation of like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this baby and I'm going to nurse. And that's going to be, that might be a little, you know, that could be a little different. Right. And we just underrate how radical the shift is. And so I really like to use that metaphor because in my own postpartum month, I was like, I see I'm up during the dark more than I am during the light. And it just really struck me. And also there's always the oxygen mask metaphor that works there, right? Like you always have to have it on yourself before you can put it on anybody else. If you get the book and you're past that month, that's fine. That's beautiful. At the same time, we scuba dive for a little while. (laughs) Like that month is hardcore. We might scuba dive depending on our babies, depending on ourselves for quite a while And also if we were pushing ourselves a lot through that first month, it might feel like there's some stuff left over from that first scuba dive. And so to be gentle with yourself and surface slowly, it's okay. And it's never too late. Love the scuba diving analogy. Never heard that. It's (laughs) so spot on. It's so spot on, right? You up is down, down is up. There's some really beautiful things to be discovered and is also really scary and it's dark. Yeah. Right. And um, it's kind of a solo venture. Um, even if you have a partner, right, their experience is different from yours. And yes, you're trying to experience it together. Um, I think though, when you are the mother who carried and birthed and nursed the baby, it is its own unique experience. And I don't know why, but I feel like we are almost hesitant to say things like that sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. no, that's actually just true, yeah. right? It doesn't mean that other people that are involved with the baby don't have their experience, but we're talking right now uniquely to um, the woman, the mother who carried and birthed and, and nursed this baby or keeps the baby alive. Um, mm-hmm. Beautiful. You have a whole chapter on breastfeeding. Um, I remember my own surprising and painful journey and I have three kids and it was very different with all three of them. What do you think needs to happen as a society and culture here in America so that expectations around breastfeeding are shifting and maybe more realistic and honest? Oh, what a great question. I mean, I think the big one is, is access, right? Like that it's just to be accepted and that it's just more of a regular part of our society. Again, for people that that suits them, that that fits them. I like to be really clear that my message here is fed as best. And that if that is not something that fits people, that's not something that has to happen. Um, unfortunately, we're in a formula shortage. But when the book was written, we weren't. I also think that we just need to have more openness about the whole experience, that it doesn't just have to be one thing. It doesn't just have to be 
the pretty soft focus mom feeding baby picture, right? That there needs to be support and help when it's painful, that we're not supposed to tell moms to suck it up that, oh, that might not be working. Let's get you the help and support. Let's get you a good lactation consultant. Let's find that connection for you. And so creating that access and support in a non-shaming way, including, oh, it's not working. Let's move you on to something else and help you feed your baby. I, I remember going to my breastfeeding classes for the first time and like 70% of the class was why it was going to be so good for my baby. I'm like, uh, that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. I already, I'm already <laughs> bought into that. I'm in. <laughs> I want to yeah. do it. I need to know the hold. I need to know what to do when I'm hungry and the baby's hungry. I need to, you know, I needed like hours of that support rather than the, the urging that I needed to do it. I, as you're talking and I've really never had this thought until you, I'm listening to you. I feel like, cause what, what happened with me with the first one was like, you know, it was like a 911 emergency, you know, it felt that way. Baby's not latching. She's getting stressed. I'm getting stressed, right? So it starts in the hospital, the lactation consultant, you know, the nurse calls what feels like a very special request, right? Like we need lactation consultant in room 321. She comes, it helps. It definitely helps. I get discharged. Now I'm just pumping away. I, I, I'm like, I became a professional pumper. So really she would latch on just for, I think the bonding experience, but really was being fed through the pump milk. Then I get home. Now I'm in tears. I personally have my mother and grandmother who are grabbing my breasts, who are, you know, they're trying to be helpful. I'm not open to it. And then the shame came when it's like, now I have to go somewhere. This was my experience. Like I have to call somewhere. And so as you were talking, I was thinking, I wish that it were that you saw somebody, I don't know, for X amount of times before while you're pregnant, you prep, you talk about it. And then it's just a given that you continue to see them after. Even if when they come, you say, yeah, everything's going great. I personally don't, I don't know if I know anybody who's like, yeah, it's all going great. <laughs> yes. Right. And that they're there. Like it's, it's proactive. They're coming, you know, for three sessions, no matter what, even if you say like, everything's going great, great. It's a person for an hour that's there that can like maybe then add stuff. Right. Right. I just feel like that would be so much better. That, that would take away the shame. It would just be normal. Like this is what we do. Mm -hmm. Right. This is just the the way you go to the pediatrician at the certain days after you have the baby. Like you don't go just because they're sick. You go because they're doing well checks. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think we also need to remember that it's not just in that initial period. I feel like the, the norm is to run into bumps and challenges, but also, you know, I am also reminding my moms all the time, like, just because this is happening at six months, nine months into feeding, doesn't mean you call it, you don't call a consultant. Any consultant worth their salt is going to help you along the way you know, like people can nurse, you know, like moms overcome so much of like a latch that isn't really like a great latch and they just deal with it. Right. And they're like feeding the baby every 45 minutes and they're like, Oh, her latch is great. It's like, there's a story in the book that was just like that. And we're too used to just dealing with it. And so regular access too, as well, that someone's like, Hey, can we just Check in and see how you're doing. Right. Covered by insurance, maybe scheduled out. I mean, 
Yes, yes, yes. The last thing that I'm going to talk about, well, I'm going to ask you to talk about, but there's really so much more. You devoted an entire chapter to body image. Uh-huh. Um, I especially love that you say that there is no such thing as getting back to your pre-baby body. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, that is true. A hundred percent true. Um, just like I'm never going to back to my college body. Like that's yeah. not going to yeah. happen. You're not, it, well, let's you go back to college, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a time machine? Like it, right. That is so true. So tell me more about what that means and why you devoted a whole chapter to body image. Well, that's where, I mean, that's where my heart is. This is how it all started. I, my specialization is working with folks with body image disorders, eating disorders, disordered eating, just sort of that fractured relationship with their bodies. And then, you know, we have this time of our lives where like the societal message is that it's either going to be a fractured relationship with your body or you're going to do everything to get your shiver with me, pre-baby, pre-baby body back. And it's such an offensive message, right? Like it's, it's the one sort of medical situation where we would say that to someone, you know, the thing about this time that's so remarkable is our bodies have just done something. If we're, if we're fortunate enough to have carried and birthed, right? Like not everybody who's reading this book, will that, will that be the case for, Mm -hmm. but it's for the most part, has done this remarkable thing that cannot and should not be overlooked. If we're able to connect with that and stay connected with that and kind of like move away from a lot of that noise that industries want to sell us, I really think even for women where their relationship all along the way has been quite fractured, there is a potential healing point. Now for some moms, this is their first trigger point. And they've been able to have all this control, tight control over their bodies. <clears throat> and this is the first time where they they don't have that same access. And so I think body image becomes this place where we can begin to renegotiate. And also we're going to be taking care of another body at the same time. And raising our kids at the same time, that is a whole other layer of hard and that's when moms just sort of like became closer and closer to my heart in the work is just, oh, I'm feeding them all the time. I'm dressing them all the time. They're on my body and then their bodies are growing. It's super, super, super layered. And for me, you know, the whole book would have been body image. <laughs> it's the whole book started as body image. And then um, it became something differently different entirely. But for me, that's where we need the most support, actually, I think a lot of the time and through the lifetime of raising our kids as well. I I love that. I think that is going to be your second book or your third book <laughs> um, because it's so very, very needed. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing your wisdom to the the listeners right now, there's really a lot more in the book that you will get from it. Um, relationships and sex and, um, you know, more, just more self-care tips. So, and there's prompts to write in there and uh, it's really a beautiful book. So again, Corinne Crossley, the book is Self-Care for New Moms Thriving Through Your Postpartum Year. Congratulations. It's a beautiful book. It's well done. 
It's so accessible. It's just the right length. I wish you really all the success with sharing all of the information in here and in the work that you do. And for listeners, if you enjoyed this conversation, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks so much.